0: Welcome everybody to episode 2 of the FND Hope podcast. Um, In today's episode I thought what we'd do is revisit an interview that I did uh, very recently uh, with Professor Mark Edwards. Uh, This was done for the International Awareness Day on the 13th of April um, this year 2018. Um, and um, you can find this interview in video form on our YouTube channel, but I, I thought it was interesting to present it as a, as a podcast. Uh, this is only a very short episode. It it's, uh, goes for, uh, for just over 20 minutes. But it was a very, very interesting conversation that I had with, uh, with Mark. Uh, He's very open um, about the position uh, at the moment. We actually ran through a quick review of what the last 12 months had had meant for him uh, working as an FND specialist Um, and and then we had a a discussion about some of the trials that uh, he's either involved in or uh, knows of. Uh, Some of these trials are about to start, some are are currently in progress. So it's interesting getting an update on those and and obviously why those trials are so important. Um, We then had a a very wide-ranging chat about the access to to care services uh, and why that's um, different for... Um, sufferers of, of other neurological diseases such as, um, as MS and, and I think you'll find what Mark has to say on, on that topic um, very uh, enlightening, um, particularly in the need for, um, as he puts it, um, a crisis within the NHS um, before we get to see any, uh, any action on that. Um, and um, we also talk, talk about how he's seen the demand uh, for services Um, You know, people coming to his own clinics and and other clinics around the UK and and what he feels is is behind that. So, really wide-ranging discussion, uh, one that uh, should leave you at the end of this uh, with hope for the future. Um, We don't have all the answers at the moment, that's for sure, but uh, certainly the work that's going in right now um, is certainly going to pay big dividends in the future. Um, So, without further ado, um, let's get started. Welcome everybody to uh, to this video that we put together for
1: International Awareness Day. We're very pleased to be able to welcome uh, Professor Mark Edwards um, for this short conversation. Uh, welcome Mark. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Um, what I'd like to do um, in this brief message is, is get an understanding of I guess how the, the the landscape has changed over the last 12 months uh, in the FND space, particularly in, in the UK, uh, and get a bit of insight into some of the, the new directions you've been able to take over the last 12 months.
2: Sure, well, I, I think it's been a positive 12 months. I appreciate that for people out there on the ground, uh, living with FND and their, their families, the pace of change is often, it must seem extremely slow. Uh, but I think there have been some positive things that have been happening. So, just a few of the things that have been going on are that I think there's much more traction within the NHS, and much more interest within the NHS um, in the UK in thinking, uh, in at least recognising the problem that we don't have services for F, people with FND, even though it's a really common and saving problem and to maybe start doing things about them. So in uh, the south of England, where I'm working, South London and so on, uh, we're working with NHS England and charities such as FND Hope, um, to try and get FND services up on the agenda and to get support for developing a proper integrated service for people with FND. Uh, sort of more nationwide that, like that again with charities like FND Hope we've put forward a proposal for uh, nice guidelines for functional neurological disorder um, so uh, we're waiting to see if that's going to be accepted but we're, we're positive about that, that that might go forward now that's a long process producing nice guidelines but if they are produced it really gives a good uh, foundation for us to go to people like the NHS to say, look, these are the guidelines for treatment. What are you going to do about it? How are you going to get that to happen? Um, And then from a research point of view, I'm very pleased to say that with colleagues here, in particular Glenn Nielsen, who's a fantastic neurophysiotherapist, um, and colleagues around the UK, we've got funding from central governments, so from NIHR, uh, for a multi-centre randomised trial of physiotherapy for people with functional movement problems. Uh, and that's come against a background of a lot of work that Glenn and myself and others have been, have been uh, doing over the past few years. Um, so that's a 1.1 million pounds of funding um, to run a proper trial, looking at whether specialist physiotherapy delivered in a particular way with particular ideas Uh, does better than standard neurophysiotherapy for people with functional movement problems. So we're very excited about that. Um, At the same time, a a long-running multi-centre trial for people with non-epileptic attacks or dissociative seizures has finished recruitment. That's the CODES trial. That's been running for uh, a few years now. The recruitment is finished, so hopefully by the end of the year, probably into next year, that will report, and so we'll have proper evidence for people with uh, dispositive seizures about the kind of treatment that might be useful for them. So there are quite a lot of things happening around and about. Yeah, no, that's, uh, and that's really positive. I think one of the things that's, that's
1: interesting about, about the research obviously that is carried out is, is the focus that it is able to then put um, into the condition. But I guess the, there's also the needs to be understanding that it does take quite a while before the results come out and can be fed mm-hmm. back and then changes can can be made. So what's what's the realistic expectations that people can have out of research programs, such as the one that Glenn uh, is just about to get started with and and, and the CODES trial, yeah. so we'll start to see some feedback.
2: So I think with the CODES trial, that's something which should report Uh, like I said, towards the end of this year, early next year. And that's, once those trials report, obviously it's a question of what the results are, because we don't know. But if we say that maybe the results are positive and they they show that this specific type of cognitive behavioral therapy works well for people with dissociative seizures, then because of the way the funding's been given and so on, it is really then... uh, uh, sort of almost uh, on a bound on on institutions like the NHS to implement that uh, that those findings because that's the whole point they've funded the research so if it shows that it it really is effective then it needs to be rolled out and we can really put much more pressure then on uh, funders and commissioners of services to say look this evidence is out there and that goes for people in other countries as well because if there, uh, even though the research is done in the UK, other countries can point to that and say, look, this is a treatment that seems to work for a proportion of people, let's do it. With the physiotherapy trial, uh, it's obviously for a selected group of people with functional neurological disorder. so those with motor symptoms, and there's some other uh, sort of uh, things that define them as a group. Um, and But the, the results of that would probably be expected in and out Three to four years' time, it's that kind of time scale. And that just it just reflects the amount of time it takes to get stuff set up, to get eight or so centres set up around the UK, recruit several hundred people, get them through the study, look at the results and so on. It just does, does take a long time. But that's why I think that it's really important that at the same time as that, we put pressure, everybody puts pressure on authorities to do. A simple thing which is basically to provide an organized service because that doesn't really need any evidence at all you could argue because we you know it makes sense that if you have a common condition you should have people and a service which tries to help those people it doesn't really matter if the evidence at the moment is a little bit limited on what treatments work just organizing care is a is a simple and sensible thing to do um, and that's something that could be done now if there was a will, if there was a financial sort of uh, uh, will behind it.
1: Yeah, because and I, think, I think that's quite, quite interesting, isn't it? Because we can make the comparison between sufferers of MS yeah. who have access to these multidisciplinary care plans that sufferers of FND just don't get that access to, and yet the symptoms of the suffering are the same.
2: I, I, I couldn't agree more. In fact, in, in my clinic here at St George's, we've recently been doing a little study looking at the people who come to a specialist MS clinic and comparing them to people who come to uh, my FND uh, service um, and looking at their access to care. And across the board, even if you're talking about psychological services and rehab services, whatever it is you're talking about, people with MS have better access To those services. Um, Now, that's not to say that care of MS is is universally wonderful, but you know it is it is interesting that people who experience the same levels of disability have completely different experiences of care, and that isn't because there's there's such wonderful evidence in people with MS for. You know, that sort of care pathway. is just seen as a, a reasonable and logical, sensible thing to do, which it is. Yeah. Um, and it should be the same for people with functional neurological disorder. So that's where I think um, there is a role for pressure, even political pressure, to, to try and push this issue up the agenda and say, look, this is just not fair that people who have significant disability have very limited or no access to any sort of organised treatment compared to people with very comparable conditions. So, you know, what's going on there?
1: Yes, and I would imagine that the the nature of, of the professionals in each of those areas, be it occupational therapy, psychology or, or physiotherapy, the skill set that they would apply to a sort of MS would be... Mm-hmm. Almost equally applicable to a sufferer of FND. I,
2: I, again, I couldn't agree more, and that's one of the things I find incredibly frustrating. Is where um, when you, when I might refer somebody with FND to a um, say a, a community neurotherapy or uh, a neurorehabilitation centre, or even into mental health services like uh, psychology services. That universally, those services don't really don't they say they can't help basically they say well you know this fnd thing that's not for us um whereas they they do have the skills you know with appropriate support but they do have the skills to help i think um uh with a with a relatively minimal amount of additional um uh you know education and advice and so on um
1: yeah yeah and, and it's interesting because I know I've, I've seen in Australia with um, Alex Len, um, has put together FND masterclasses yeah. with the intention of educating um, other professionals. And we've started to see here in the UK more centres establish themselves in the regions, for example, Sheffield or, or Liverpool. Um, how much? Of your input is is able to go into advising professionals in, in those centres.
2: Well, there's there's a there's a number of us in in the UK who uh, um, who try to help advise people who are, are trying to set up services or are, are trying to put together business plans to apply for, to their within their hospital or within their local region for funds to set up services for people with FND. Um, and you know, that's, that's an important part, I think, of what uh, the, the people who, who are, if you like, interested in, in, in FND specifically can do to really help improve services. Because at the end of the day, it's a very, very common problem. And it is useless having one or two isolated specialist services that are, that are in the end, always going to be completely overwhelmed because there's just too many people. You have the problem. So, what we need is every region or regional neuroscience centre having um, a a service for people with FND, and having um, you know spreading good practice out into district general hospitals, emergency departments, community therapy services, mental health services, uh, rehab services, and so on, so that you, you you have within each region something. Uh, and a pathway for people with functional neurological disorder. Um, what, what, um, what we're trying to do in South London is that there's a, 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 a possibility of trying to reorganise neuroscience services in South London, and we're trying to push for development of a service like that so that we can actually show that a service like that works um, and actually makes people's lives better, and it, I'm sure it would also save a lot of money, even though it's not really... The That would be helpful as well. Um, But it it would, uh, at the moment, there isn't really a research paper that one can point to that says providing organised care, you know, is a good thing to do for people with FND. But I I think it's it's really just logical that that is the case.
1: Yeah, Uh, I guess being able to demonstrate a working model is is a proof point, isn't it? Yeah, It, it is. Are you seeing, um, it's probably a bit of a daft question because I know what the answer is, but I'll ask it anyway. But but you mentioned before about, you know, centres like yourselves are getting overwhelmed with the number of referrals. But has there been a big increase in the number of referrals over the past 12 months that you've experienced?
2: Yeah, there is. And I think it's that's happening because people are increasingly making a diagnosis rather than doing what was previous practice of sort of not really saying what was actually wrong, but saying what people don't have and basically trying to move them off um, Mm -hmm. somewhere else, usually nowhere. But um, uh, so I think there's a, because there's a greater awareness and a greater, greater willingness of particularly neurologists to say, I know what this is. This person has a functional neurological disorder automatically in you know raises the profile in a sense and increases the numbers of people around. I don't think it's actually increasing in its in itself. I think it's it's it's, it's always been. been a really common disorder. It's just it's never been recognized or defined in that way. So it's it's a bit, a bit invisible. Um, but yeah, there are there are a lot more referrals and, and that that makes life you know it makes it very difficult for people with F and D because everything is so slow. Um, both to get an appointment with somebody to, to maybe explain the diagnosis better or to, to really say this is definitely what it is, um, and then particularly to get on into any kind of treatment. Um, but we, you know, we have to start somewhere. And some, uh, unfortunately, particularly with the NHS, the, the main way to get things to happen is for there to be a crisis. I think it's a stupid thing to do, but it is just the way it is that when there's a crisis in in waiting lists or in public pressure saying that this situation can't go on, then something happens. Um, It would be much better if we could do it differently and say, look, this is a problem. We all know it's a problem. Can we just try and sort it out? Um, But it often doesn't happen that way.
1: And and we saw a, a a great attendance um, last year at the conference in, in Edinburgh. Yes. Um, with over 500 professionals attending that. Um, so that's evidence, again, as what you said before about more interest being being shown. So um, are there more neurologists, um, general neurologists um, out there in the UK that um, you would say
2: are certainly taking a bigger and, and deeper interest in FND than before? De- definitely, and I think there are more people. So, so, neurology is a is a is a big specialty in terms of it covers a, lot, a big area of medicine, and so it's normal for neurologists to subspecialize. Um, and amongst younger neurologists coming through, there's definitely an interest in subspecialization within FND, which was never there before, um, and the idea that you might actually. Be able to do that as a career. So you'd be a general neurologist, but you have special interest in FND and interest in seeing people and running services. So within my clinic, and I know it's the same for other specialist clinics around the UK, there are um, lots of trainees who come sit in or spend, do a fellowship um, at the moment. And uh, in the moment of my clinic at George's, there's, there's now uh, four consultants, including myself, were are seeing patients within a team. So that's four consultant neurologists with an interest in uh, FND specifically. Um, yeah. And I see that replicated uh, around the UK as well. Um, so I, I, that makes me feel very positive that we're going to have a bigger workforce, about the kind of size of workforce you need to help people with FND. Um, and again, going back to that example of MS, the, in, in, in MS... Services you have neurologists, you have a whole lot of other professionals, you have specialist nurses, have a whole set up. We need that kind of infrastructure and those sorts of numbers for people with FND because it's a condition of similar commonness, similar complexity. Um, so I'm hoping very much that that will that will happen.
1: Um, yeah, yeah. Um, well, that just about brings us to to the end. Uh, I have one final question to put to you um and this is always the most challenging question for someone like yourself to to try and answer but it is extremely difficult as as you're well aware for for sufferers especially those who have difficulty getting access to to services but is there any message of of hope that you can give them in terms of how they could make a difference themselves in in order in, in our self-help or something that they could do that could perhaps give them some kind of mm-hmm. kind of relief
2: so I, I think that that's to me is where the 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 influence of the charities you know, such as Hope, comes in really because i think that whatever is if you look at any illness any chronic illness in particular is not any significantly disabling illness having knowledge about what it is even down to the most basic thing that it is a thing and it is real um and it's not an imagined thing and other people are going through the same thing that and its own right i think makes a massive difference i appreciate for me it fully doesn't fix symptoms uh but i think that and it's own right can make a massive difference i think with fnd you know probably slightly differently or more than other conditions which cause disabling neurological symptoms. There is that theoretical possibility of improvement there because there isn't an irreversible structural lesion that just couldn't in a million years get better, like you might see a complete spinal cord injury or something like that. So that's one of the reasons why, as a condition, it interests me, I'm so fascinated by it because does seem to have this capacity that, that it might improve. And I think that that um, is also something to be hopeful about, even though I appreciate that we're a long way from getting that to happen for lots of people. Yeah,
1: okay. Well, thank you very much, uh, Professor Edwards, for your time uh, this afternoon. It's been great to talk to you. Uh, we look forward to talking to you uh, very soon. Good. But, but thanks again. Pleasure, thank you very much.